Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. Right off the top, here's the deal. You bet $5 on either the Rams or the Bengals to win. $5 on the Rams or the Bengals to win by going to fanduel.com slash clay and you get paid back 56 to 1. That means $280. You got a friend, family member, girlfriend, boyfriend, side chick, whoever it might be. You also have them bet five bucks. Then the two of you combined are guaranteed $280. Nice Valentine's meal. I believe the day after the Super Bowl is Valentine's Day. Boom. You and your sweetheart just paid for a really good meal. $280. Guaranteed for as little as $10 to wager. All you have to do to sign up is fanduel.com slash clay. That is fanduel.com slash clay. One more time. FanDuel.com slash Clay. All right, let's go right into the Brian Flores lawsuit. Brian Flores lawsuit uh, came down right as we finished the anonymous mailbag yesterday and I popped it out. I've had an opportunity to read the lawsuit. Uh, I have uh, been tweeting about it. Went on Fox News this morning to talk about it. Just talked about it a great deal on the Clay and Buck show as well. But I really want to dive into it in detail here. It's probably be a better discussion than you will hear of this lawsuit anywhere in media, sports, or otherwise. So let's start here. Uh, Brian Flores is accusing the uh, New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the Miami Dolphins of uh, racism based on the way that they have conducted their business in the NFL. Okay? And as evidence of this racially discriminatory behavior, which he is suing for, uh, he has cited, Brian Flores, an incident with the Denver Broncos for purposes of an interview. Uh, He has cited the Giants based on text message communications with Bill Belichick, potentially having made the decision to hire Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, before they conducted their interview with him. And he has thrown the Miami Dolphins under the bus based on their behavior that led to his firing. Here's the issue, and I'm going to unpack each of these. There's no suggestion of racially discriminatory behavior based on the facts that he lays out in his complaint at all. In fact, the more interesting aspect here is actually uh, the allegations about against the Miami Dolphins as it pertains to a pre-free agency meeting between Stephen Ross, the owner, and Tom Brady on a yacht. That is an interesting story. And the suggestion that Brian Flores might have been offered $100,000 per loss by his owner, Stephen Ross, that actually could lead to some significant actions if it's proven to be true, and I'll talk about that first. But let's begin with the allegations of racism, and there are none, okay? 
Despite the fact that Flores spent all day doing a media car wash, effectively going from one studio to another to make his claim alleging that the NFL was racist against him, let's start here. Brian Flores, having never been an offensive or defensive coordinator, he was the linebackers coach by title with the New England Patriots, ascended to become one of 32 NFL head coaches by the age of 38 making millions of dollars and getting to coach for three years. If the NFL is so racist against black coaches, how is it possible that Brian Flores was able to get a head job at the age of 38 to have coached for three years and to have made millions of dollars? Moreover, if the NFL were so racist, how is it that Brian Flores was considered a finalist for multiple NFL head coaching jobs and might well have gotten a job, still might for all we know, as a head coach in the NFL. In other words, if the NFL is, as you say, so racist, how is it possible that you, by the age of 38 years old, despite never having been a coordinator, were able to ascend to one of 32 jobs and maybe were about to get a second head coaching job in the NFL? That flies in the face of all of your racially discriminatory arguments, okay? Now, let's unpack each of these allegations one at a time based on the individual teams, okay? The Denver Broncos, according to uh, the complaint that was offered by Brian Flores and his attorneys, the Denver Broncos did not take his interview seriously. He alleges that John Elway was hung over for the morning interview that took place, okay? Well, this is intriguing because if you look at what was said, already Brian Flores has discussed that interview with the Denver Broncos. Indeed, in November of 2020, and this would be admissible in any lawsuit, Brian Flores was asked about the interview that he had with the Denver Broncos before the game that the Dolphins played against the Broncos. This is a little over a year ago. Brian Flores, and I'm quoting from Mike Kliss, who covers the Denver Broncos, he says, that interview was, this is, I'm quoting from Brian Flores, that interview was, I remember it vividly, it was just great for me to just, from doing my own background, learn more about the Denver Broncos and their history and the Bolin family and the great history they have there as an organization. I was excited to interview with them. I thought it went well. It was just great to meet the executives there and spend uh, some time with them. I think Vic's a great coach. At that time, Vic Fangio was the coach. They've got the right coach and the right people in place. It's a talented team That's for sure. It was a good experience for me personally. So Brian Flores in November of 2020 said that that interview was great for him, that he remembered it vividly, and that he said it was fantastic, that it was great to meet the executives and spend time with them, and it was a good experience for me personally. Those are all quotes directly from Brian Flores about his experience with the Denver Broncos. Well, if Brian Flores ever got on the witness stand, a 
competent lawyer would say, when were you lying? Was it in November of 2020 when you claimed that everything was great about your interview with the Denver Broncos? Or was it in February of 2022 when you suddenly flipped the script and said the interview was disrespectful and that you believed you were being treated illegitimately based on your race, okay? So the Denver Broncos claim to me is dead on arrival just based at a minimum on Brian Flores' own words about his experience interviewing with the Denver Broncos. Now, let's talk about the Giants job. First of all, sharing private text messages from Bill Belichick in the complaint, that is hearsay. It would not actually be admissible probably, in the actual trial itself. But even when you violate the trust of your friend, presumably, in Bill Belichick, a mentor for you who had assisted you in becoming a head coach by sharing his private text messages, even when you do that, it doesn't rise to the level of proving racially discriminatory behavior. First of all, the Giants interviewed multiple minority candidates before they interviewed Brian Flores. If they had decided that Brian Dayball was the best fit for them, it actually makes rational sense because what's the situation for the Giants right now? They have a relatively young quarterback in Daniel Jones who is big, strong, mobile, and athletic that they need to get better. What has Brian Dayball just done with a big, strong, mobile, and athletic quarterback in Josh Allen, Dayball took him from a 59% passer percentage completion to over 70% in the space of a couple of years. Whether Josh Allen would have gotten a lot better or not, who knows, but certainly the difference between Josh Allen with Brian Dayball and without him is seismic. So if you're making a choice and you are the Giants, and you're uncertain what the long-range future of Daniel Jones is, going and getting a guy who has proven that he can work with a big, strong, athletic quarterback and get the best out of him would seem like a good fit. As opposed to Brian Flores, who has struggled with a young quarterback in Tua and who has struggled on the offensive side of the ball in general. It doesn't seem like a good fit. But maybe... When you sit down with Brian Flores, you think Brian Dayball is the right choice. You may even be negotiating with Brian Dayball already, but what if things fall apart? What if Brian Dayball is asking for more money than you're willing to pay? What if at the last minute you decide it isn't a good fit? You're doing your due diligence to interview as many people as possible. Maybe Brian Flores walks in that interview room and wows you. They didn't do anything disrespectful to Brian Flores. In fact, if he truly thought that the Giants were being disrespectful to him, he wouldn't have interviewed. He still went to the interview. There's nothing racially discriminatory associated with this. I don't know about you guys. I've been to interviews before that I didn't get the job when I thought I absolutely killed it. I'll tell you something from my vast experience in sports media. I went out to interview with Yahoo Sports over a decade ago. Spent all day in Santa Monica, California with them. Interviewed with every person they had there at that facility. 
I wanted to get the Yahoo Sports job desperately. It was when I just started, only been writing at CBS Sports for a couple of years. This would have been 2007. I wasn't making very much money. I was ecstatic at the possibility and the opportunity for what I might be able to do with Yahoo. They didn't offer me the job. They were interviewing other people. They left me hanging for months and then they hired someone else. That's life. I probably have been through three or four different scenarios like that where I interview. I used to make a joke. I did more pilot shows at Fox Sports than maybe anybody ever. They were going to do an OutKick show. Somewhere they still have all these old pilot episodes for TV programs and sports that I was a part of that never got greenlit, okay? That happens. No matter what you do in life, there are often times you may interview where you're hoping that you're going to get the job but somebody else is the favorite and even if you do a great job in the interview, you may not get it. Moreover, there's still five jobs available out there. When this lawsuit was filed, Brian Flores was the betting favorite to get the Houston Texans job. So if he really wanted to get an NFL head coaching job, why did he suddenly have to file a lawsuit because he didn't get the Giants job? Again, nothing racially discriminatory at all based on those actions, all right? And then the Miami Dolphins. Now, this is the more intriguing analysis, okay? What is interesting here about the Miami Dolphins is the allegation of meeting with Tom Brady uh, on a yacht while he potentially was still a free agent would be an NFL rules violation. The allegation of a $100,000 payment for every loss potentially could be a major issue for Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins. But neither of those things has anything to do with racial discrimination, okay? So all of the three teams that are named, there are no actual, credible, racially discriminatory allegations that are being made by Brian Flores. Now, you just heard me break down the lawsuit. Compare that with how this story has been covered. Virtually no one has aggressively gone after Brian Flores and asked him why he has filed this lawsuit and what actual racism he is alleging here. In fact, the overwhelming number of sports media and media in general have accepted the allegations that Brian Flores is making as fact and they haven't even taken the next step and said, oh, wait a minute, how is this racially discriminatory behavior? This is a failure of the media at its most basic level. Because what the media is supposed to do is take nothing at face value and aggressively question people in positions of power. Whether that's an NFL team owner or whether that is a potential NFL team coach. Brian Flores made millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, as a head coach in the NFL by the age of 40 and he was on the verge of getting his second head coaching job, that seems like the exact opposite to me of a racially discriminatory organization. And, and on top of this, and I think this is significant, no one ever asks, what is the requisite percentage of NFL head coaches that would make the league not be racist? Okay? 
Black people make up around 12% of the overall American population. If all NFL teams as coaches reflected the overall population of the United States, that would mean that there would be three or four black coaches. And that would mean that there would be around, whatever the math is, 18, 19, or 20 white coaches. There would be around three or four Hispanic coaches, and there would be a couple of Asian coaches. But the reality is very few professions completely reflect the overall racial makeup of the United States. In fact, the NFL is around 70% black. The NFL is a meritocracy. I don't begrudge any of those NFL players their jobs. I think they're better than the, uh, the white, Asian, or Hispanic players that otherwise might be employed. But we never hear... Why is the NFL so wildly overrepresentative when it comes to black players? Why don't we have more racial diversity in the NFL? We don't ever hear, hey, how come there's never been an Asian running back? We don't ever hear, hey, how come it's been 20 years since a white cornerback has started in the NFL? Shout out Jason Seahorn. Why do we never hear, hey, how come there aren't more Hispanic head coaches in the NFL? The only requirement for racial diversity is being asked to be applied in the coaching ranks. So the NFL is the ultimate meritocracy. The best man gets the job. The best man gets paid, regardless of race at all. And so the NFL is actually the business that has created more black millionaires than any business in the history of the world. If it is racist, then that racism is really revealing itself in an interesting way, which is allowing black people, black men in particular, to make more money than they have from any business that has ever existed in the history of the world. More black millionaires have come out of the NFL than any business in the history of the world. Now, the NFL is also wildly competitive. If an NFL team or NFL teams were being racist and not hiring minority coaches, I would say the first place. That's wrong. But I would also say the way to prove that it's wrong is by hiring those coaches yourself and beating the teams that are racist. In other words, the NFL is so hyper-competitive that if a team were actually being racist and overlooking more qualified coaches that would otherwise win more games, the way that you could exploit that is by hiring minority coaches and having more success. The reality is that that hasn't happened. The NFL is a copycat league. When Tony Dungy was in the middle of his Hall of Fame coaching career, five different Tony Dungy assistants got head coaching jobs. Right now, everybody wants their own version of Sean McVay. Zach Taylor is in the Super Bowl and you can look at the success, believe it or not, there's been a lot of it, in Green Bay with what's happened with LaFleur. Both of those guys are Sean McVay protégés. Same thing Brandon Staley early in the Chargers tenure, but he's shown encouraging flashes of being successful as well. If you go and look, anybody who has been in close proximity to Bill Belichick, including his former linebacker coach, Uh, in Brian Flores has gotten a head coaching job too. The NFL follows success. 
the most successful current black head coach in the NFL is, without a shadow of a doubt, what you're seeing with Mike Tomlin at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin has not had very much of a coaching tree at all. Only Bruce Arians, in fact. And on top of that, if you analyze this in a larger context, Mike Tomlin has had almost no black uh, offensive or defensive coordinators. Therefore, he hasn't had much of a coaching tree despite his success. So what I would raise as a question here and now is what percentage, while you're focusing on the head coaches, what percentage of people adopt the lowest rung jobs in the NFL? How many people come in and make ten or fifteen or $20,000 a year, whatever the lowest rung is in the NFL? How many of those people then ascend to position coaches before getting to coordinator? Because that's how you become a head coach in the NFL. If you truly believe that you have an output problem, that is, you are not producing enough qualified head coaching candidates of a minority background, then probably it's not the output that is the issue, it's the input. I hear almost no one saying, hey, let's look at the percentages of coaches that start in the NFL and then analyze as they move up in progression from position coach to coordinator. Everybody is hiring in the NFL in a highly competitive manner designed to ensure that they keep their job. Remember this. If you're a head coach, the best way to ensure that you remain a head coach is what? Having as good of an offensive and defensive coordinator as you possibly can. If you are an offensive and a defensive coordinator, what's the best way to ensure that you keep that job? To have as good of skill position players as you possibly can. Sorry, skill yeah, players matter. Skill position coaches. Wide receiver coach, linebackers coach, tight ends coach, special teams, all of that, right? So, as you analyze this, ask yourself this question. Is the NFL an organization that has produced more black millionaires than any business in the history of the world racist? Or did Brian Flores simply get angry because he was fired by the Miami Dolphins and he didn't get the Giants job, which he wanted because his hometown is in New York, and decide that he was going to throw a fit and burn everything to the ground around him. I think it's the latter. One person making a poor decision from a legal perspective is a story. The bigger story to me here, in my opinion, is the failure of the sports media to adequately discuss and examine all of the allegations made in Brian Flores' lawsuit and to point out that none of them reflect actually racially discriminatory behavior on behalf of team executives and officials. Again, that is probably the best discussion that you are going to hear on the Brian Flores situation anywhere. If you enjoyed it, share it. Go give us five stars at OutKick the Show. And by the way, one reason a conversation like what I just had almost doesn't happen anywhere else in media is because so many people are afraid that if they say that this is not a very legitimate lawsuit because Brian Flores is black, that they're racist, right? This is what the conspiracy of silence and what mob rule on social media has created. I just don't care. If you have listened to my show for a long time, if you have watched me for a long time, you know that when it comes to legal issues, I analyze it strictly from a legal perspective. I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic. I don't care if you're gay, straight. I don't care if you're male or female. I am going to look at it in a rigorous, impartial, legal analysis perspective that almost no one else does. 
Uh, how about my boy, Jeff Zucker, out at CNN over an undisclosed relationship with a subordinate. Uh, Jeff Zucker, I don't know if he made the call himself or one of his subordinates did, maybe the woman that he was having the affair with. When I went on CNN and said I believed in only two things completely, the First Amendment and boobs, do you know what happened? I got banned for life from CNN. That was like four or five years ago. Now, what is the irony here that Jeff Zucker now is losing his job over an inappropriate relationship that he lied about? Also, this is directly connected to Chris Cuomo being fired. It sounds like much as Brian Flores decided he wanted everything to burn around him because he wanted to make himself a victim, right? Brian Flores wanted to follow the Colin Kaepernick track and make himself a victim, even though he's making millions of dollars to work in a sport. Chris Cuomo was angry that Jeff Zucker fired him and it appears he decided to out all of the dirty laundry inside of CNN. The question that I have is, did someone else want Jeff Zucker out because it seems like they didn't stand behind him at all when they had an opportunity to over this relationship? We don't know how long he lied about it, uh, but it is intriguing to follow and it may directly implicate the way that the Cuomo brothers were covered inside of CNN since the woman that was having the affair with Jeff Zucker, who by the way is still employed at CNN, uh, and then later having the uh, undisclosed relationship, I think it was initially an affair. Intriguing to think about because if you look at this story, that might explain why Andrew and Chris Cuomo had so much protection inside of CNN despite all of the clear conflicts of interest and all of the lies that were being told about Andrew Cuomo and about Chris Cuomo and that Cuomo may have said, hey, if you're going to fire me, you better pay me or else I'm going to squeal about all the things going on inside of CNN. I wonder if this is just the beginning of a massive fallout that is coming inside of CNN worth paying attention to there going forward. Here's what I would do. Nobody is ever going to name me the head of CNN. If they did, by the way, network would probably be better off. I think I'd be an incredible uh, leader for CNN uh, based on my First Amendment and boobs uh, viral moment that certainly is one of the most watched CNN moments in um, recent history of the network. Okay, What should happen? If I were CNN, CNN's getting beat right now, according to The Wrap, by... Tucker Carlson when it comes to 25 to 54-year-old Democrats who watch television news. Let me repeat that. Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, other Fox News stars, more Democrats watch Fox News than watch CNN or MSNBC. If I were trying to construct a, uh, a network to go forward, I would replace Chris Cuomo. I'm going to give you a name. I would replace Chris Cuomo with Megyn Kelly. She's right now doing a podcast. Full disclosure, I was a guest on her podcast on Monday. She's got a radio program. She's very successful. Super smart. Obviously has developed a decent audience for herself. If I were CNN, I would go hire Megyn Kelly and put her on in the Chris Cuomo spot at 9 p.m. Eastern. To me, that would be a way to signal some form of honesty instead of being a far left-wing network with no viewers that decided to go after Donald Trump. And by the way, 
Donald Trump put out his own statement when Jeff Zucker was fired. Uh, Here is from Donald Trump. Jeff Zucker, a world-class sleazebag who's headed ratings and real news challenge CNN for far too long, has been terminated for numerous reasons, but predominantly because CNN has lost its way with viewers and everybody else. Now's a chance to put fake news in the backseat because there may not be anything more important than straightening out the horrendous lamestream media in our country. And in the case of CNN, throughout the world, Jeff Zucker is gone. Congratulations to all. That is from Donald Trump. Now, I tweeted this out earlier. It didn't get a lot of attention because we're in a crazy news cycle right now. But did you see what is going on right now when it comes to jobs in this country? Today, numbers came out and showed that 300,000 jobs had been lost. What do I mean by 300,000 jobs had been lost? I mean that right now, if you look at the data, um, there was an expectation that there would be 200,000 new jobs added. Instead, 300,000 jobs were lost. That is a miss of 500,000 jobs. Okay? So, This is really intriguing to me. Biden tweeted out, 2021 was the greatest year of job growth in American history. I got to tell you, that's misinformation. While it is factually true, the reality is we still have not regained all of the jobs that we lost when we shut down the country in March of 2020. That is, the number of people that are employed right now in this country is lower than the number of people that were employed almost two years ago in March of 2020 when we had the strongest economy in the history of the world. Then COVID hit, we shut down our economy, and it has been an unmitigated disaster for many people since then trying to get their jobs back. That tweet was put out by Biden today when we lost 300 more thousand jobs in January to try and distract from the overall news. It is the very definition of misinformation. Um, Whoopi Goldberg has been suspended for two weeks. I disagree with this suspension. I understand that there is a debate out there about how to deal with cancel culture. And there are two real policies in place. One is that you should hold Whoopi Goldberg to the same standard that Roseanne Barr and that Gina Carano were held to when they were fired by... Disney. I understand that argument. My concern is cancel culture when you continue to apply it to Democrats, Republicans, or independents, it reinforces the legitimacy of cancel culture when you apply it to everyone, even if it's being applied unevenly. I understand the argument with the way to destroy cancel culture is to insist that left-wingers apply the same rules to themselves that they do to right-wingers. My concern is we sometimes see that. We saw it, for instance, when we had the senator from Minnesota, Al Franken, lose his job over the photographs where he's pretending that he's going to grope another comedian while she's sleeping on an airplane. We've seen it when other left-wingers have lost their jobs. All that does is create an eye-for-an-eye justice, in my opinion, and leave everybody blind. The two twin pillars in this country 
that I believe we have to repudiate in order to return America to absolute excellence are identity politics and cancel culture. And so I don't support firing people or suspending them for their opinions, even if they are uneducated and even if they are inartfully put. Whoopi Goldberg was wrong when she said that Nazi Germany was not based in racism. When your whole concept is that you are the master race, that's the very foundation of racism. And that's why they tried to get rid of Jews and gypsies and everybody else who they found to be not the master race. Okay, it's the very definition of racism. But I believe in the marketplace of ideas. Somebody says something stupid, then we don't insist that they be fired and have no job anymore. What we do is have a larger conversation about why they were wrong and hopefully create a smarter republic. That's the goal of the marketplace of ideas. The idea is not to create less speech, but to create more speech. This is the exact antithesis of the Democratic Party right now. Some people say, Clay, how did you end up supporting Donald Trump? How did you end up supporting Republican candidates? How do you now consider yourself to be, because I do, a Republican after when you were younger being a Democrat? How has all of that happened? The answer is, for me, I'm a marketplace of ideas guy. I believe in individual freedoms. And I believe that the White House, standing up through Jen Psaki at the White House press briefing and saying that Joe Rogan needs to be regulated is everything that's wrong with government. I don't believe that government should be trying to encourage big tech companies to censor anyone. Me, Whoopi Goldberg, Joe Rogan, Howard Stern, any person out there. I am an old school liberal when it comes to the marketplace of ideas and supporting first free speech. Remember, CNN banned me for life for saying I support the First Amendment and boobs, right? I've been pretty consistent. Go back and look at everything that I've ever said. I believe that we should have rigorous and uh, foundational and expansive debate on all of the issues that exist in the country. And when we don't allow that to happen, that's when authoritarianism rises and that's when we fail as a country, which ties in here with Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins just came out with a deep dive on whether lockdowns saved any lives. And guess what? The answer is virtually none. All of the things that we did, shutting down schools, making everybody wear masks, socially distancing, determining some businesses were essential and non-essential, all of it had virtually zero impact as it pertains to making anyone safer. I've been making this argument since all the way back in March and April of 2020 that lockdowns were wrong. I didn't get everything right about COVID. Early on, back in the first week of March, earliest days of COVID, I said that based on the data from China, it did not appear that very many people were going to die with COVID. I was wrong, okay? Chinese lied about their data. Certainly, I took it way too uh, seriously. I believed the WHO numbers that they were sharing from China. I ran the numbers based on our population and said it was unlikely that very many people were going to die. I was wrong about that, okay? Now, how many people actually died just with COVID? 
as opposed to died of many other causes with COVID. Bigger discussion there. But virtually everything else I've been right about. I was right about cloth masks not working. I was right about kids not needing to wear masks. I was right about the fact that lockdowns were not going to save any lives and may well cost us lives if you look at what happened uh, with overdoses in this country. I was right about the fact that the vaccines did not prevent COVID from spreading and they didn't keep you from getting it. Almost all of the data, I was right about the fact that we could play sports safely, whether it was high school, whether it was college. I was right about the fact that kids needed to be back in school. All of it I've been right about, okay? And so as you look at the larger context here, this was an irredeemable failure of United States public policy. And I think a big reason why it failed was because there was a fundamental failure to allow robust debate on appropriate public policy responses to COVID. I really do believe that. And the Johns Hopkins uh, details of their study coming out as it has, it's going to lead to, I believe, a mass backpedaling. Everyone who supported school shutdowns, everyone who supported lockdowns, everyone who supported masks, everyone who supported mandatory COVID vaccines and COVID vaccine passports, I think they're going to run for the hills And this is going to turn into Vietnam all all over again. You've already seen this happen, by the way, with defund the police. Almost no one will admit to ever supporting defund the police now that we've seen the murder rate skyrocket. As all of the data continues to come out and prove that I was right about the economic consequences of a failed COVID lockdown policy, you are going to see lots of people say, that they never supported it, don't allow them to do it. I was right. Our country failed. And in particular, this is the biggest public policy failure of my life. Significant fact, kids being out of school and being forced to wear masks is absolutely and utterly indefensible. Uh, Similarly, Army soldiers right now are being required to get the COVID shot or they are being discharged immediately. It makes no sense. We know according to the actual Pfizer CEO himself that the COVID shots, the first two, don't keep you from getting Omicron. Given that our soldiers are young and healthy as a group, it makes zero sense to require them to get a COVID shot that neither prevents them from getting the vaccine or uh, from getting the uh, COVID or prevents them from spreading it. It's a sham, okay? If soldiers want to get the COVID shot, it should be their choice. The idea that we are discharging otherwise, in my opinion, heroic people who are standing up in the face of COVID insanity and being willing to speak truth to power is everything we should stand up in favor of as opposed to censoring those people and having them forced to take the consequences. Let me say this too. Northern Virginia. Shame on all of the educators in Northern Virginia, in Arlington County, in Loudoun County, who are standing in the schoolhouse door and refusing to allow maskless kids to enter their schools. They are, in fact, saying that those kids have to go home and they're putting them on suspension There's a lot of talk about the right and wrong side of history. 
those administrators, principals, and school officials who are not even looking at the data and are somehow arguing that masks are making kids safer. They're all wrong, but suspending the kids who are willing to stand up to that idiocy is going to be 100 billion percent the wrong side of history in the years ahead. Guaranteed. Finally, Justin Trudeau came out and attacked all of the brave uh, truckers who were standing up to COVID vaccine mandates in Canada. And he did it in a typical left-wing fashion with zero legitimacy behind it. Uh, And I want to read for you what Justin Trudeau said because he is so inextricably, without doubt, wrong as it pertains to this issue. Justin Trudeau said, Today in the House, by the way, Justin, multiple cases of blackface in his background, Trudeau, said, Today in the House, members of Parliament unanimously condemned the anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, homophobia, and transphobia that we've seen on display in Ottawa over the past number of days. Together, let's keep working to make Canada more inclusive. This is what modern left-wing politics is. There is no debate from Justin Trudeau about what the truckers are standing up for. Instead, he directly attacks them, accuses them of being racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, all of these insults rather than engage in a battle of ideas with them. These truckers in Canada and all of the people standing up to vaccine mandates around the world are on the right side of history. Brave, bravery is rare. Props to those truckers for standing up for freedom all around the world. I salute you, Canadian truckers. All right, I'm done now for the day. Encourage you to go subscribe to the Clay and Buck radio program. By the way, Also, go give us five stars on Outkick the Show. I'm putting my buddy Dub in charge of looking at all the reviews. If you make us laugh, Dub will give you a shout-out and I will give you an autographed copy of my most recent book. Go give us five stars. Let me repeat that. Clay and Buck Show, Outkick the Show. Give us five stars on iTunes. If you make Dub laugh and if you hear me review, read your review, I'll give you a free autographed copy of my most recent book. Thank you as always to all the YouTube commenters. I love you guys as well. I am Clay Travis. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show.